Welcome to the sermon podcast for New Life Church's Cabot Campus. We are located at 3400 West Main Street in Cabot, Arkansas. Our service times are Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. To find more information about what we believe, upcoming events, and more, please visit newlifechurch.tv or you can text the word Cabot to 88000. Very thankful for all the members of our church family here in this campus that have been going out the last couple of weeks and helping people, serving people. Uh, it is interesting, you know, I would say I'm probably a little more tired this Easter week than maybe a few other Easter's previously going out and just trying to do relief work and helping clear trees and put tarps on people's houses and then turn around and, and thinking about what Jesus did. But the, the reality is this, I think it's so appropriate. You know, in the same way that, that we try to go out and be a representation of Jesus and to be the hands and feet of Jesus and do what we could to bring relief, to try to do what we could to rescue. The reality is this, every single person in here, without Jesus, our lives look just as destroyed as all those homes. Without Jesus, all of our lives are in shambles. And he came, the great rescue the perfect rescue, the perfect exchange. And that's what we're celebrating. Uh, I do wanna encourage you. I know that we have a few families in our community and even in our church uh, that had damage from the tornadoes. But I know for a lot of us, it's probably been a little bit out of sight, out of mind. And I'd encourage you, don't let it be out of sight, out of mind. Go down to Jacksonville. Go down to North Little Rock, Little Rock, Sherwood, see the destruction and don't just look and don't just take pictures, but try to encourage somebody. If you can, sign up and serve. Uh, there may not be a lot that you feel like you can practically do, but I wanna tell you that a lot of those people, they just need somebody to show up and smile and listen and pray for them and encourage them and remind them that there is hope that the greatest hope is in Jesus because what we've seen as we've just done what we can to try, try to be a representation of Christ, it's opened people's hearts that don't know Jesus. It's opened them up, it's let them see, hey, in all the craziness of the world and even what everybody else may be saying, there is the body of Christ, the church, that is showing up in a powerful way trying to do our best to love and care for people. And I'm thankful for that. But today, we're talking about how Jesus came and pursued us. And there's a verse that's been hitting my heart, a conviction in John 14, six, this is Jesus speaking, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is a very strong and non-negotiable verse when it comes to our faith. Maybe no stronger pointed scripture in all of the Bible, but it is the perfect balance of truth and grace. That's what Jesus did. When he, Jesus was saying these words, he wasn't screaming it in a condemning tone. He was communicating it with urgency. He was communicating it with passion and compassion to say, you have to understand that what I'm getting ready to do, what I've come to do, it's the only way. Eternity is real. Heaven and hell are real. I'm the only way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. There's no other way. 
reminds me a little bit of dynamics that you learn in relationships, especially in marriage. How many of you men in the house have been married five years or more, okay? Five years or more. I say five years or more because at five years, it's getting pretty serious, right? Like at that point, I'm hoping like, I hope you guys are like committed and that you're gonna stick with it, all right? If it's under that, it's, you're getting there, all right? But I would still, you know, it's like, we'll see if you guys can, if you're gonna make it or if you're gonna die. I don't know, you know? And, and, but this is why I encourage you. If, if you are a young man in the house, if you're any men in the house, that maybe you're not married right now, but you wanna get married, put your hand up, go on, okay? You're not putting your hand up. And, and we got a couple smart ones here because here's the deal. Um, I just gave you a huge opportunity because there's a lot of godly single ladies in this house. And they're here because they love Jesus, but they're scoping and hoping too. Don't let them tell you otherwise. And you just had an opportunity to let them know, hey girls, I'm here and I love Jesus. And you missed it. It's because you're foolish, and, I, uh, and, and it, it happens. When you're younger, you're trying to mature, I get all that, but I wanna give you some advice, all right? Some advice. Uh, when you do get married, and I would say most young people, every young person in here, you want at least one good year of marriage before Jesus comes back, like almost all young people would want that. But when you get married, I wanna give you some advice. It is very important that you learn the language of the look. Because what you learn is your wife has looks that will not be accompanied with words. They will just be looks. And those looks can write books. Don't aim in too loud, don't aim in too loud. You wanna have a good afternoon, okay? <laughs> careful now, careful now. But there are many looks, there are a couple of looks that you have to learn and learn them quickly, okay? One of those looks is the look of love and acceptance. A look that they're proud of you. And a lot of times this look, it will happen early in marriage. But if you do marriage right, you'll continue to get that look over the course of your marriage. But when you get that look, there's just nothing like it. It's like everything slows down. And it's like a scene out of Bambi where there's birds flying around and a beam of light comes out of heaven. And that look will draw you in and those eyelashes, they like. And this is my advice. Whatever you were doing right before she gave you that look, learn that and do it all the time, over and over and over again. And don't you ever be stupid enough to think that you've done it enough because that love tank is empty every morning, big boy, and it's gonna have to be refilled. So whatever you were doing, you gotta start all over again the next morning. Just keep doing it till Jesus comes back and you'll always get the look. But there is another look. Mm that's a lot more pointed. And that'll make those eyelashes poke right through your soul. And you've got to learn that look too, because when she gives you that look, what she is saying is, whatever you were planning to do next, change the plan right now. Stop right now. She's trying to save your life. 
And if you don't pay attention, she'll take it, okay? My wife is cute, and she's beautiful, and she's sweet, but she will cut me, okay? It, and you need to learn those looks because those looks, it's like this verse. There's love, but there's truth. There's compassion, and there's grace. There's correction. And these are the things that we have to get that I think that we've lost as a culture. We don't receive the message of Easter in its fullness. Jesus was loving, but he was truthful. And when he says, I am the way, the truth, the life, no other way, it's loving, but it's pointed. When you're raising kids, you know that there's times when you just kind of say things that are like advice, you know? Now you hope that they pay attention to that advice, but there's some things that you'll communicate that may not be as big of a deal as other things. You know, you're just trying to coach them, you're trying to influence them. You know, if you got like a preteen, early teenage boy, you're like, hey, you should consider showering more often. Uh, maybe put on some deodorant, it might help you. You will have more friends in life. Someday I'd like for you to get married and get out of this house. And in order for that to happen, you're gonna have to learn that you have to have personal hygiene, you know, or brush your teeth a little bit more. You're not gonna be as attractive without teeth as you are with teeth, you know, things like that. But there's other times when you need to tell them something and it's a grab their face moment. It's one of those times where you get down on their level, you look them in the eye, sometimes you hold their cheeks and you tell them something and what you're telling them, you know, can make the difference between them living the life that God created them to live. Sometimes it's the difference between life and death and you need them to get it. And I believe we are living in a time where the message of Easter is maybe more important than any other time. But what Jesus is doing is he's coming down to our level. He's looking us in the eye. He's grabbing us by the face and saying, you've got to get this. I am the only way, the only truth, the only life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There are areas of your life that you can't fix. I'm sorry, none of us are smart enough. We're not strong enough, we're not creative enough. There is gonna be areas of our life that we cannot fix. You're gonna have relationships that you are not gonna be able to fix on your own. There's gonna be people, I'm sure you've learned this, there are people you can't fix. You're gonna have to tap in to the power of God, to the counsel of his spirit, to the truth and standard of his word, there's gonna be things that you can't fix. Every year for spring break, in our family, we have what we call family trips and we have vacations, and they are very different. A vacation is where Cody, my bride, my number one priority, where her and I get to go away and get alone, we can have a vacation. And then we have what we call family trips. 
And that's when we invite the other people in our family that are less important, but still important, that we love, that we want to create memories with, that we want to give experiences to, that we want to be able to develop their character. And by the grace of God alone, we bring them with us on these trips, their family trips. And so we go camping pretty much every spring break. Camping, real camping, intense. And sleeping bags, we slip, sleep on the ground. And honestly, for the most part, our kids enjoy it. But it is always an opportunity for character to be developed, for our salvation to be challenged, for the fruit of the Spirit to be tested. So we're going on this trip, and I was getting everything ready. And because we have a lot of people, there's six of us, and there's a lot of equipment and stuff, I was going to need to bring my small utility trailer. And so I got everything hooked up and everything plugged in and everything, but noticed I didn't have any lights on the trailer. I've learned that in the South, trailer lights are not very important to most of you. You could care less. You're like, why do I need those? And I'm just one of these weird people that would suggest it's just safer having lights on the thing that you're pulling behind your vehicle so that people know when you're gonna stop or turn. But I could not get my lights to work. I like to consider myself someone that can fix stuff. Any men in the house like to consider yourself to be somebody who can fix stuff, right? Like it's like an area of a little bit of pride, you know? I can fix some stuff. I can figure some stuff out. I went through all the fuses, relays. I went through everything that I knew how to go through and I couldn't figure out why these lights weren't working. I even humbled myself to go on YouTube and check out YouTube because sometimes that can help you. Couldn't find anything, couldn't figure it out. We had to get on the road. And so I was like, you know, it's daytime. We gotta get going. So I'm gonna drive without trailer lights because that's what everybody does down here for at least a little while. But I told Cody, Cody, find a U-Haul store on our way we need to stop and I'm going to humble myself like every man should at one point or another in their life and go to the people that installed the thing and say, help, help me. So we found a store, I'll never forget the young man's name. His name is Spencer. And Spencer came out and within 30 to 45 seconds, he crawled up underneath the vehicle. And the thing was, I had a lighting harness and it was plugged into the trailer correctly and the Wiring in the trailer was working. The problem was the wire harness was not actually connected to the car. Area, connector. So the wire was just hanging underneath there, unplugged. And he had it fixed in 35 seconds. And he's about my height, but I seem to remember him patting me on the head. <laughs> like, there, there, buddy. Bless your heart. And then we had light. The fact is, at one point or another in your life, there will be things that you can't fix. And you won't even realize how to get reconnected, but you'll be disconnected. But without his power and being connected to his power, you are not gonna be able to live the life that he created you to live. And you've got to get to a place where you humble yourself to say, help, I can't fix this. I can't fix this. 
Life is complicated. There's a lot of complicated things in life. I usually consider myself to be fairly adept at technology, but there are times when I struggle. Anybody ever struggled with their iPhone ever before, like just knowing what to do with it? Seven of you are willing to admit in this house. The rest of you are lying and you're in church. Be careful. Uh, no, uh, so here's the thing. If you're ever struggling with your iPhone, here's something you can do. Hand it to a teenager. Uh, but here's the thing. When you hand it to a teenager, it's not like they're gonna be like, oh, here, let me help you. No, they're just gonna take it away. Their fingers are gonna move at 140 miles an hour. They're gonna push about 1,300 buttons. And then they're gonna hand it back to you and say, this is the way. And then that's it. That's, it's, they're not, it didn't really help you. And I think it's honestly one of the ways that they keep you captive to where they can manipulate you later, right? Like, oh, your phone's broke again, huh? Well, you know, so what I'm thankful for about Jesus is that's not the way that he shows us. He actually shows us the way. When he says he's the way, it wasn't like, okay, good luck. No, he says, I'm gonna show you the way. I'm gonna come to where you are, no matter how slow you've been moving, or even if you've been sliding backwards or if you've never been on track at all, I'm here and I wanna show you the way. I wanna lead you. That first song we sang had this lyric, what you went through to love me, I will never understand. What blows my mind away is you love me as I am. He meets you where you're at. He meets you where you're at to show you the way. When we're trying to bring some relief to people that were affected by the tornadoes this last week, to be honest, we just try to say yes to every single need, just like so many other amazing churches did. But what you learn in situations like that is you just do for the one what you wish you could do for all of them. You just focus one at a time. But at the end of the day, what you realize, what everyone realizes is it's too overwhelming. There's too much. We can't fully help. We're all just gonna need Jesus to show up and help us. We're gonna need his presence because at the end of the day, when stuff like that happens, there's only one place that you can find hope. There's only one place you can find peace and joy. And that's what Jesus He's gonna have to help. But as we'd show up and show up in different, in front of different people's houses, you know, what you notice is they were just thankful that people were there. They were just thankful, you know? And and the truth is there were times where like, we're not sure exactly what to do, but I don't think that tree is supposed to be in that room. So we can probably get that out of there. And then you just start helping as much as you can. But I'll tell you what didn't happen. What didn't happen is we didn't pull up to one of these houses where the roof had been tore off or a tree had gone through a portion of the house or part of the house had been blown away or the whole house had been leveled. We didn't pull up to any of those places and the people that own those places didn't say, so glad that you're here. Let me go and clean my house and then I'll let you come. Here, let me go straighten up a little bit, okay? In, in the part of my house that isn't destroyed, let me go, it's a wreck, it's a mess. I'm so embarrassed. And as soon as I go and get things squared away, I would love to have you come and help. 
It's ridiculous. But the fact is, that's what so many of us do with our sin when it comes to Jesus. We say, hey, let me, I've got time. Let me work on this. Eventually, I'll have you come. Eventually, I would love to have you come and help me out. But for now, let me try to get things worked out. I wanna come to Jesus, but honestly, I am such a mess. Let me try to fix some things first, and then I'll call on Jesus. No, that's your way, not his way. His way says, no, as you are. The fact of the matter is the rescue that comes through Easter can't come until you say, I can't. Until you say, help. Easter, the resurrection, the price that was paid cannot have power in your life until you're willing to say, I can't. Help, help. I'm not strong enough, I can't, help. I'm not smart enough, I can't, help, help me. Do it because I can't. He's the only way and we have to surrender to it. There's a friend, there's a lifeguard and he was telling me during lifeguard training, one of the things that they will teach you is that if there is a victim and you can see them struggling, they especially if you're on the ocean, you can try to get out to them and get them a flotation device, but sometimes they're so disoriented, they're freaking out so much that they can't even grab a hold of that flotation device. And so you have to physically go to them and help them. But what they train you is you have to wait until that person has given up. Like right as they're on the cusp of getting ready to go under the water, you have to wait until then. Because if you try to go and get them before that point, they are so full of fear, they're so irrational that they will pull you down. They will push you under the water trying to stay up. They'll kick you, they'll punch you. The very thing, the very person that's there to save them, they'll completely resist it. And the same thing is true in your life until you get to the point where you finally say, I'm done. I'm done trying to save myself, I can't. And as soon as you get to that place, the Lord will help you. Before then, you'll resist him. You'll still be leaning on your own understanding, your own strength. You gotta humble yourself. I have learned in life, you will either humble yourself and surrender to, the, to who Jesus is, to the only power that can truly save you. You will either humble yourself or more, eventually you'll be humiliated. There will be times when you can't rescue yourself. You're gonna have to trust in him. And the greatest time that any of us have ever needed rescue has been we've been in without Jesus. And there may be some of you that are in that place right now You're without Jesus. Easter is not a service that you dress up in bright colors and pastels and get pictures. Easter is about him coming for you, to rescue you. The problem is, since the fall of men, we have all been separated from God. Every person in here at one point or another, we've been separated from God. In Isaiah 52, or 59, it says this, 
It's your sins that have cut you off from God. And because of your sins, he has turned away and will not listen anymore. He is a holy God. He can't be near sin. We're all sinners and the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. The greatest death is spiritual death. The greatest death is eternal separation from the presence of God. And only Jesus can rescue us from that because he is the only perfect exchange for our sin. But there's a theological problem, several problems and only one way and solution. One of the problems is the only way to get to heaven is perfection. The second problem is no one on earth is perfect, no one ever. But the third thing is heaven will be massive in attendance. The Bible says in Revelation 7, 9, after this I looked and behold a great multitude no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and people and languages standing before the throne. How? If perfection is the only way to heaven and no one is perfect and heaven is full, how? The greatest rescue, the perfect exchange. Jesus took my place on the cross. Jesus came and took your place, your sin. You can't rescue yourself. How does it happen? Romans 10, 9 says, if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. The problem for some of us and the problem in our culture especially is so many had Jesus and they are turning away from Jesus. They're turning away from Jesus. And that happened at the first Easter too. We know this because on Palm Sunday, there were thousands of people declaring who Jesus was as the Messiah, worshiping him, shouting praises. And just a few days later, that same crowd was screaming at the top of their lungs, crucify him. What changed in a few days? Well, the fact of the matter is there and even now, people love the attributes of God. They love the attributes of Jesus. They love the miracles. They love the acceptance. They love the grace. They love the creative storytelling. They love all those things. They love the attributes of Jesus, but they hate the absolutes of Jesus. But you cannot have the agape absolute love of Jesus if you don't have the absolute truth as well. And Jesus, when he would talk about the absolute truths, that's when people would start saying, oh no, don't try to change my beliefs. Don't try to change my morals. Don't try to change my truth, what's right for me, what I'm choosing to do. Don't challenge those things. I'm not interested in hearing that. I wanna hear all the other, but not the absolutes. And that happens in our culture today. The fact of the matter is, the only way that you can have that perfect love is with absolute truth. Otherwise, it's not really loving. That'd be like me saying, I love my kids. I love them. I show them. I provide for them. I take care of them. Yeah, sometimes they ask me to go play in the freeway. And I let them because they know best. They know their truth. No, that's not loving. God was loving, but he was clear. Jesus was loving, but he was clear. He even said, look, if they hate what you believe and they hate your conviction, if they hate the fact that you hold to the standard of the word of God, remember, they hated me first. They hated me first. 
I want us to look at how Jesus rescued a few. And John 20, 19 says this, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors be, being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. After the resurrection, Jesus' number one priority was to go and restore relationship with people. Because even after the resurrection, Jesus came and he could have just left. He could have just ascended into heaven, but he was very intentional with setting an example of how he would want to restore people that would be struggling with some of the very things that we still struggle with today. And I know that there may be some areas of your life that you feel locked down. But locked doors can't keep Jesus out as long as your heart is open to him. And the first thing he did is he rescued Thomas in his doubt. We call him Doubting Thomas. Jesus never called him Doubting Thomas. The truth is, Thomas was just not a blind faith kind of guy. He was glad that everyone else experienced the resurrection the way they did, but he just said, look, I'm a fact checker. I, I just, I need some help. He said something very similar to what someone else has said. I, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. He said, Jesus, I can't believe unless I can touch your scars. I, I, I need to be able to do that. And Jesus, because he is good and because he is good to every doubter in this room, he says, come close. Come as close as you need to come. Touch the scars. Touch the scars. Jesus is not afraid of your doubts or your cynicism. The one thing that Thomas did right is he just admitted that he struggled with it. He was honest about it. The Lord is extremely comfortable with your honesty. No matter how bold or ugly it is, he actually tells us you can draw close with a sincere heart. So if you have doubt, Jesus came to rescue you. He also rescued Peter in his shame. We have prayer cards that people turn in every week. They put them under these crosses on, on these shelves. And a, a couple of weeks ago, we got a prayer card and it said this, it said, sometimes I think about my past and I can feel shame cover me until I can hardly breathe anymore. And they wanted us to pray. Well, that's Peter. Peter felt that shame. Why? Because Peter always came across like he was the most confident dude. Like, Jesus, I'm, I'm gonna be with you. I'm gonna stand with you. I'll never deny you. I'll never turn my back on you. The problem was it was always confidence in himself. His confidence in his strength. And at the moment that this little girl challenged and accused him of being one of Jesus' disciples, and he completely turned his back, not even knowing who Jesus was. And as a result of that betrayal right there, shame came on Peter. Came on Peter to the point that even though Jesus had told Peter before his death that Peter would be the person that he would build his church on, that he was gonna be a major player and the kingdom of God spreading, that even though Jesus had given Peter that truth, at the point in the depths of Peter's shame, he said, I'm not even worthy to be a disciple anymore. And he went back to his old job of fishing. And so after the resurrection, Jesus was very interested in finding Peter and setting him free from that shame. And so at one point, Jesus is in a boat out on a lake. He looks on the shore and he can see Jesus. 
When Peter made the first move, really Jesus had already made the first move, but Peter responded to it. He jumped out of that boat and he swam to shore. And he had this conversation with Jesus. And during the course of that conversation, that shame began to melt off. If you will draw near to Jesus, I promise you, the shame will melt off. But you gotta be willing to draw close to him. And then he also rescued those that were discouraged, like the two men that were on the road to Emmaus. These guys were so defeated because of the news of Jesus's crucifixion. Jesus had risen from the grave and then Jesus appears and he's walking with them down this road, but they are so discouraged and so distraught, they can't even recognize Jesus when they look him in the face. And that's what happens. Sometimes you're so discouraged, you're so depressed, you're so anxious that you can't see that hope is right in front of you. That Jesus, he's there and he wants to heal you and he wants to help. He does. And I know it's not always that simple. I know that God uses counselors and sometimes he has to use medication. I get all that, that's fine. But there is a point of your debts that only Jesus can help with. I mean, it says, ironically, they invited him to come over for Easter dinner. And it says that while they were sitting together at that table, that the scales began to fall off their eyes and they could see it was Jesus and their hope was restored. This week, up and when they found a man that after the tornado, after 36 hours, they found him trapped in his house, still alive. I'm sure at some point he probably thought, they're not gonna find me. Or how long before they do? Well, how long have you thought, there's no way for me to be found here with this doubt, with this shame, with this discouragement? There's no way, or I'm tired because I've been carrying it for so long. Well, Easter's for you. The resurrection's for you. For some of you, this may have been a very difficult week. For some of you, it's been an incredibly difficult decade. And for some of you, it's been a very difficult life. Whatever the time has been, I, I know this, all he needs you to do is just admit that you can't. Help me, Jesus. Thomas had a walk over. Peter swam over and the men on the road to Emmaus invited him over. Jesus did everything that he needed to do on that cross. The move's ours now. And all we have to do is humble ourselves and call on him and he's faithful. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. You're here today and you know that you're away from Jesus. The Holy Spirit's already been speaking to you. You can sense it. It's right there in your gut. Right there in your chest. You, you just know, man, I don't have a relationship with him. I've never had a relationship with him or you turn away from him. 
He turned away from him. And you need to come back to him. This is the greatest rescue and it's available for you. And if you're in this place and you know you need to call on Jesus, I would love to pray with you. I wanna give you an opportunity to respond to him. Just like we read in scripture, if you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart. Why is that important? Well, what's happening in your heart is what's most important, but when you confess with your mouth, it attaches to your faith and it helps solidify in your heart that choice. And I'm gonna ask you to be willing to confess it to me. You don't need to worry about anybody else around you. The most important decision in your life is between you and your creator. And no one else around you should be able to influence that. You've gotta make the choice. It's your time to walk over. It's your time to swim over. It's your time to invite him over. You're the only one that can do it. And if you're here and you know it's time to do that, nobody's looking around. There's Christians, they're praying for you hard right now. But if that's you, I wanna pray with you. And I wanna ask you to admit it by raising your hand right now across this room. I need to call on Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And as soon as I see you, you can put your hand down. Got you, thank you. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, I need to call on Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Okay, girl, thank you. Anyone else, I need Jesus. Thank you, sir. I need Jesus, got it, got it. Yes. I need him, I'm ready. Yes, look, you raising your hand is not what gets you saved. But an act of your free will and obedience Every person that's been raising their hand, as soon as they raised their hand, they felt the grace of God, his acceptance and his love hit them right where they're at. And if you're here and you know you need that, this is not a good time to be stubborn and say, I'm just gonna keep on driving with no lights. I'm gonna keep on going. I'm gonna keep trying to work it out myself. I'm just gonna try to get things cleaned up. This is not a good time to be prideful or stubborn. This is a good time to be honest with your creator. I got you, buddy, right here. Anyone else, I need to call on Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Thank you, got it. Anyone else, I need him. Thank you. I don't wanna rush this. This is what this is all about. This is the reason why Jesus came right now for you. Thank you. Got you. Yes, ma'am. Anyone else? Yes, ma'am. Got it, thank you. Yes, anyone else? I need Jesus, I'm ready to call on him as my Lord and Savior. I need to get back on track, I'm away from him. I don't have any peace or confidence. Thank you, sir. Jesus wants you to be able to walk out of this place with a confidence and assurance that you know where your eternity is secure, but you also know that there is a life and purpose that he has for you now that you're gonna get to walk into because you're gonna surrender to him. Is there anyone else? I need Jesus. I'm ready to call on him. Tired of playing games, tired of doing this on my own. Got it, thank you. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Keep doing your work. Keep doing your work. Hmm. Anyone else? Thank you, ma'am. Yes. Thank you. Okay, that's it. I wanna pray with you.
In fact, I want everybody in this room to repeat this prayer after me because you may be a believer, but there's somebody around you that needs to confidently be able to speak this prayer out loud. And I just want us to do it together. So repeat after me, say, Jesus, I need you. Come on, a little bit louder, a little more bold. Some, somebody's broken around you and they've been waiting to say this. They've needed to say this forever and they need to be able to pray it now with some conviction. Say, Jesus, I need you. I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. I believe you died on the cross for my sin. And I ask your forgiveness. I believe you rose from the grave. You defeated sin. You defeated death. So I can walk in freedom. So I can have the hope of heaven. But you've given me a purpose. And I wanna fulfill that purpose. So I surrender my life to you. I repent and I call on you as Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. That's the cry and the prayer of every one of our hearts, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you just isn't enough. I pray that our words would align with our actions and our lifestyle, that we wouldn't just say we're thankful, that we would live it in such a way that our lives and our actions are gospel and love to every person that we encounter. That at some point or another, we may share our story and share our testimony, but let our lifestyle, let our love for others be the evidence that we've been rescued. And that it, let it pull something out of people around us that they realize they, we've got something they don't have and they'd wanna hear about it. God, I thank you for every person that just said that prayer. Maybe for the first time, first time in a long time, and I pray that you help us as a church or help their local church if they're not from here to come alongside of them so they can be discipled, so they can grow in your word, so they can understand your calling, your plan, your purpose, your love. Lead them, Holy Spirit, and fill them up with your power. We need you desperately. Help them to be strongly rooted and connected to a local church. Help them to be open and honest and humble to receive counsel, to be challenged and to be encouraged, Father. We thank you for it. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. Amen and amen.